You are Locked On Horn Frogs. Your daily podcast on the TCU Horn Frogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome to Locked On Horn Frogs. I'm Stephen Simcox, uh, host of Locked On Horn Frogs, and I'm joined today by Matt Jennings. And before we get into things, I want to let you know that uh, today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to builtbar.com and you can use the promo code Locked On, and you'll get 20% your net, 20% off your next order. Uh, Built Bar, some great protein bars. So thank you to them for bringing us the show today. And Matt, you can follow him at Matt A Jennings. Um, he used to work in sports media. Now he works at Chick-fil-A. Um, so really the same type of thing. But he has really good insight on TCU football. Um, Matt, how are you doing, man? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me on again. Uh, I'm glad I didn't uh, do so poor the last time that you were like, well, that's we're not doing that again. Yeah, this is just sort of a trial run. So I don't even know if I'm going to post it. But I, you did well enough that I'm going to give you <laughs> give you a chance. Um, so last week on Monday, I did a segment called three things I like and three things I don't. And Saturday's game went so poorly that I'm sort of scrapping that whole idea because <laughs> I mean, I could find some things that I like in that game, but it, it really just came down to individual players that I thought played well. And that was about it. As far as the systems and what they were trying to do, uh, I didn't see much. That was impressive. So TCU falls 33 to 14 to Oklahoma. They're now one and three on the season. They have five games left. We'll touch on the game briefly because I was talking about off the air. I don't really know how much there was that we actually learned about the team on Saturday. I mean, it just, it was a bad football game. They weren't competitive. It's pretty rare for them, even in, you know, the, the down seasons that we've seen the last couple of years to just get blown out. But Matt, as far as, you know, from a practical sort of scheme perspective, what went wrong on Saturday? What were you seeing that, that wasn't working um, aside from, you know, just generally everything? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the things that we pointed out last week of like, oh, man, it'd be sure, sure be nice for TC to do these things for them if they want to if they want to try and be competitive and maybe still still uh, a win in this game they kind of did none of those things you know they mm -hmm. they needed probably needed to get some turnovers and and steal some possessions back for the offense and get some possessions away from the Oklahoma offense and they did not do that they needed to have a super efficient game uh on the offensive side of the ball and they did not do that they needed to limit explosive plays and they did not do that um, they didn't even do the things that Gary Patterson has like made it very clear are important to him in recent years. Like they didn't win time of possession. They didn't run the ball very well. And so it's kind of like, okay, to your point, like what went well, there weren't, there weren't a whole lot of like, um, group efforts or overall things that the team did well, that they say that it's supposed to be their identity or that they want to do. And so, yeah, I, it, it's really hard to pick one thing like oh yeah if this had gone differently it would have been because it wouldn't have been this is just this is a team that and this is a this is a game against Oklahoma where like they've won this game once since coming to the Big 12 um mm -hmm. so you didn't come into this game with like expectations that they were gonna I don't think anyone came into this game expecting TCU to win but I think a lot I think given the fact that Oklahoma has looked you know 
patchy over the course of the season. You thought like, hey, TCU can can at least like hang around in this game and make it interesting. And for them to not even do that um, with the amount of talent that they have on the team, I think is pretty disappointing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I think the defense played okay. I feel like they weren't great and Oklahoma sort of took their foot off the gas, but the offense was so bad <laughs> that the defense in comparison looked really good. But no, you're right. I mean, from the jump, you give up an easy drive. I can't even remember. I think Oklahoma might have faced like one third down on that first possession before they scored. They went right down the field. And then you're playing from behind. Um, the offensive lines continues to struggle mightily. They did not run the ball well at all, only 75 yards. And there's still – it, it works its way into everything in the offense, but they still don't even know who they want to run the ball with. You know what I mean? I mean, they, they give Foster five carries. They give Miller five carries. They work Evans in late, and that was sort of mop-up time. Um, but there's just – there's nothing that they hang their hat on. Like, if – in a big third-down situation – who are, who are they going to right now? It's basically just Max, whoever's open. You know, there, there's nothing that they are consistent with. And uh, it's showing up in every aspect of the game. But um, offensively, aside from the obvious, like is there is there anything you saw that you think they could build on moving forward? They only scored, you know, essentially one touchdown and then another touchdown late in the game in garbage time. Yeah, I do think uh, – I'll say this for the offense. I do think – they're better than last year. I'll say that. Now, that's not a high bar to clear, but, like, mm-hmm. they are – when they are – and this isn't – this doesn't happen a lot, but when they're actually clicking and they're actually running the offense um, efficiently, they, they, they can move down the field quickly. And um, what I will say for them is, is uh, they – space the field really well and they're able to and they're able to they utilize they're utilizing the full width of the field which is something they never did last year um i think um the the key tenets of the air raid are pace and space and i think they're doing half of that i think they're spacing the field well i think they're doing a good job getting playmakers the ball in the open field and you saw that with a couple plays to tay barber to quentin johnston to pro wells who reeled off a nice uh, a couple nice long runs as well like they when they actually get the ball out without max duggan getting thrown on his back and mm-hmm. when they uh, you know when they can actually complete a pass they um, they have athletes out there. I think that's the thing that's frustrating is they've, they've got players and, but they're, they're, they've abandoned in my mind, the second half of the other half of what makes the offense effective, which is pacing. They, they don't go up tempo at all. They're snapping the ball with less than 15 seconds on the, on the play clock more often than not. And I think that's that offensive identity crisis that we were talking about last week. I think that's really what it comes in is, is, is like they're trying to reach this weird compromise where they're letting them, run the passing concepts that Doug Meacham and Sonny Cumbie want to run, but they're trying to run it at the tempo that Jerry Kill and Gary Patterson want to run. And it just like those things do not mesh at all. And they need to commit to something. I would think that the answer would be when you've got air raid coaches and you've got air raid personnel and, 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 and players that you have recruited to run and, and go out there and go fast. And you recruit Texas where every high school in Texas 
spreads the field and goes fast, that that would be what you want to do. But if you want to beat Wisconsin, then fine. But do it. Like, commit. Like, like go out there with two tight ends consistently and, 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 and beef up your offensive line and run GT counter and run power and, and, and try and possess the ball for 35 minutes. But don't, don't do it halfway either way. And that's what they've been stuck in for like a year and a half. And it's just, it is exhausting to watch, man. I don't, I don't know what ultimately, I don't know, something's got to give at some point, but it, 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 and that's the weird thing is like nothing is giving. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they feel like you've reached this crisis point three or four times in the last two years and they just, they don't reach that epiphany of like, oh, I guess we got to do something different. They just got to execute better. That's, that's the key. Um <laughs> The the only that, other note that I, or go ahead Matt go ahead no yeah, but it, it, no but that's what you say is funny because it's exactly what Gary Patterson after the game said when someone asked him in the post game hey what's the conversation like with the with the offensive staff about what the identity is you know he uh, he said this is a part part of his quote quote we have to get better at what we do you've got to keep getting better production but to do that you've got to be able to run the football better end quote. I don't know. I just, I, I don't, I don't know. Like the answer can't be a like, well, we just got to get better. And the answer can't be, well, we need to run the ball better when you're Gary seems to be stuck in this like mindset of, you know, Oh, if we, if we're able to, again, possess the ball for 35 minutes, which again, if you have the personnel and the scheme in place to do that, I, you know, be different, be the change up on the schedule for every big 12 team, but you're not, and you don't have that, you know, do what your players are well suited to do. But anyways, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. He's either, (laughs) he's either very controlling and hands-on about this, or he's just wiped his hands of it. And he's like, well, that's Jerry's problem now. That's why I hired him. So (laughs) don't ask me about the offense. I'm just worried about stopping these big plays. Uh, the only other note I wanted to get to on that game was you did have some pretty significant injuries. Noah Daniels and Wes Harris are apparently out for the year, according to Gary, after that game. So that's really unfortunate. Noah Daniels was having an outstanding season. He's been banged up in the past. Uh, but he looked like the next guy in the line of what's been a good position for them. I mean, at that first corner spot. And Wes Harris, as Matt said, last week was we think the only good offensive lineman on that position group so um it's gonna be an uphill battle at both those spots but yeah that's uh, that's just what you should know in case you miss that coming up we'll talk about some big picture things matt got into it a little bit but what is going on with tcu football what has to change they're one in three are we past the point where this is just a simple, you know, question of them not buying in or executing well. We'll tackle that. But before we do that, I want to tell you about Coors Light. Um, We just got done with the weekend. It's Monday. I know you're probably looking forward to next weekend. What do you grab when it's time to chill? What do you reach for when it's third and seven and corners are playing nine yards off Quentin Johnston and they decide to run a crossing pattern instead of just throwing a screen out? You should grab a Coors Light. That would be helpful. Maybe that would help you deal with some of the play calling that's going on. Um, college football is back. Saturdays are the time to have that me time. It's that chance to drink beer, to chill, to enjoy your day. So Coors Light wants you to know no matter what sport's on this fall, Saturdays is your time to chill. Watching football is therapeutic. 
So next time you sit down and you're ready to watch a team score an exciting 14 points in four quarters, grab a cold Coors Light. It's the drink I choose when I need to unwind. It's what I reach for when I want to reset. It's the beer that's made to chill. You can get it sent straight to your door at getcoorslight.com. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Also, I want to talk to you about Built Bar. Built Bar is even more delicious than ever. They have 18 amazing flavors, caramel brownie, cookies and cream, uh, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp. I really like the cookies and cream flavor. That's my favorite. They also have 12 original flavors like German chocolate, peanut butter, banana bread, mint brownie. If you're wondering, man, how many calories does this have? Or if you're one of those people that likes to tell people about how you exercise and how you eat well, it's only 180 calories. It's five grams of sugar, um, 18 grams of protein. So it's going to fill you up. It's good for you. It's a good energy boost. It's what I like to eat before I go on the air on the radio because I'm going to be on the air for five or six hours. It's going to tie me over. And then I can get a snack afterwards or I can get food afterwards and I don't feel as hungry. Um, go to builtbar.com. Use a promo code locked on and you'll get 20% off your next order. Again, that promo code is locked on and you can get 25% off your next order at builtbar.com. All right, we're back. Steven Simcox and Matt Jennings on Locked on Horn Frogs, Monday edition. Uh, please subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. You can rate me, you can review me. That'd be really helpful. Um, thank you if you've been giving us a chance. Tell your friends if you like it. If you don't like it, then don't tell anybody about it. But please listen to my show and let people know that, that you're enjoying it if you are. So let's get into last segment we talked about the OU game, which was just a debacle in, in every sense of the word. But we, we want to get into some, some big picture things here. So I saw this from Max Olson uh, after the game Saturday. He said, TCU has won eight of their last 22 Big 12 games since 2018, and they've been held under 28 points in 13 of the last 14 losses. So, eight and 14 in their last 22 Big 12 games. Uh, the offense is a big problem. At a certain point, I feel like some questions have to be asked about what's going on here. And whether it's whether the biggest problem on this team is the offensive staff and their philosophy and what they're doing, or if it's guys not buying in, if it's guys not sticking with the program, to me, I think ultimately that falls on Gary Patterson. And Gary set an incredible standard at TCU. I think he understands the standard they set there. People do not expect them to have losing seasons, to have down seasons. So, um, what what's happening here? What's going on that that's leading to what seems to be a systematic problem of not competing either, you know, being the team that is TCU now, are we trending to a spot where they are the team that plays within one score of most people and gets blown out twice a year and ends up hovering around 500 or can they get back to what they were doing from 2014 to 2016 winning, you know, 10 to 11 games every year competing for big 12 titles. It seems like, you know, the talents there, the recruiting classes are getting better, at least based on the rankings. You look on the field and you see players that seem to have a lot of potential. So what's happening in behind closed doors with that coaching staff that is uh, that's going awry. And, and Matt, what's your biggest question 
about the way they're trying to run things right now from like a philosophy standpoint, from a scheme standpoint that you, that you think is holding this team back? Yeah, to me, it keeps coming back to this, this fundamental question of what does Gary Patterson and what and, and what's the message that he has and what is the message that then the staff is communicating about like what is the best strategy for this team to win because on on to your point on the recruiting trail they seem to have a certain um they're they're recruiting extraordinarily well they have the they they recruit better than everybody in the conference except for texas and oklahoma and if you've got better talent um at least according to the recruiting services than every team in the conference rather than t uh, rather than, uh, except for texas and oklahoma and tcu owns texas anyway um historically over the last since joining the big 12 um that should put you in a pretty good spot right um so they recruit at a high level and they recruit a certain kind of player as we alluded to in the last uh, last segment in terms of the speed and the athleticism and um guys who are well equipped to a certain kind of offense and then you get out there and then you look at what the product they're putting on the field and it's, and, it, and it's very, very different from what you would assume is being sold to these recruits when they're, when they're signing. Um, and it's just very, very odd. And I think, it, again, it comes down to um, this, again, fundamental disagreement on what the, um, what the offensive philosophy is supposed to be. I, I think there are problems with them on defense. I think primarily it's the fact that they don't have a pass rush and they haven't this season or last season but i don't think like there are like structural issues on the defense i think they give up big plays which is uh, we talked about last week they they've done forever under gary patterson um but you know you're also playing in the big 12 you're going to give up more points you know the if you can score 30 or 35 points usually that has been enough with tc's defense over the last few years to to totally be fine and they're not doing that and so I don't know what Gary wants to do in terms of what they're doing on their offensive staff. Um, I, I, it seemed to me in the offseason that by bringing back Doug Meachin, that was a concession. That was an admittance. That was, that was Gary Patterson admitting, hey, my way of wanting to play ball control and stuff isn't going to work. Doug, I, you, know, you, you left last time when I tried to make you do that. I'm going to let you come back and let you run the offense the way you want to run it. That's what I thought that move in the offseason meant, giving, giving Doug Meacham the keys to the offense back. That has not looked like what they've done through four games. Uh, so that to me is my question is, 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 what do you want the offense to be? And again, you're recruiting Texas, you're recruiting speed, you're recruiting athleticism. It seems to me that the thing that makes sense is to allow, uh, is, to, is to be up-tempo, and innovative and creative on offense and throw the ball around the field and spread the ball. You don't have to all, you don't have to throw the ball 60 times a game to spread the field. You saw what Art Riles and, and that staff did at Baylor with a, with a super run heavy offense, but that still spaced the field really well. You, you can be innovative, but yeah, I, I, I just think there's this conflict and continues to be this conflict among the offensive staff and Gary Patterson. And I don't know what solves it. Um, and I think that's really what they're ultimately running into. Yeah, so I'll preface this by saying I do feel like there can be some grace if part of the reason this merger hasn't really happened as far as going back to tempo and pace and space and air raid, if it's because of the pandemic, then I understand that reason. Like if, you, if you're behind because of limited practice time, et cetera, I get that. But I hope that doesn't become an excuse 
to run this uh, run this thing back again for another year. And I mean with the offensive staff specifically because this is not working. I mean it's just not. And Sonny Cumbie, I think is a bright guy. I don't I don't feel like he. Is, I think there's a certain section of the fan base that just thinks he's inept and stupid. I don't believe that's the case. Now I don't know exactly what's going on with if if there is some meddling by the head coach that's clouding what he wants to do or if he's just sort of lost his touch if the offensive line is so bad that they can't get anything going but that's it's got to follow on him regardless and you wrote about this in the, in the offseason but bringing Meacham back it's exciting because they had success with him there but it was also a really boring hire I mean Doug Meacham left he went to Kansas he did not do well there you could say that nobody does and that would mostly be true but still when he left Kansas people weren't knocking down his door to hire him I mean he wasn't he didn't have a ton of offers there wasn't a lot of interest in Doug Meacham it wasn't that long ago that he might have been the North Texas coach like he had some like that was a legitimate thing he might have been a group of five head football coach but that was not the case anymore and I think he was with the St. Louis Battlehawks before he took this job. So there's something there that, that wasn't super appealing to everyone else. And Gary, I guess, was banking on, well, it worked. Maybe it'll work again. That doesn't seem to be the case right now. Uh, the Jerry Kill experiment, again, I don't really know what his role is because we don't know a lot about what he's doing, but that doesn't seem to be working either. So you got to bring somebody in from the outside that is going to challenge your viewpoint on this thing. Um, and I don't think he's done that. And Jared Anderson, I mean, I don't, I don't spend a lot of time talking about college position coaches, but the offensive line's bad. And if he gets reassigned or fired, I think that's totally fair. And that's a move you, you probably have to make however you want to do it. The other thing I've just been struck by is this, a, this is a really undisciplined football team. I mean, they make a lot of stupid mistakes. It, it didn't really end up, end up costing them because they still got a field goal, but that pro-wells unsportsmanlike conduct penalty when you get in field goal range, that's just dumb. They have a ton of holding penalties, which, again, is byproduct of a bad offensive line, but they just make so many silly mistakes and get in their own way, and that's a – that's a byproduct of a poorly coached football team. And I don't know if that's guys not buying in or the message not getting across, but again, it's, you know, it's gotta be accounted for. So those are the two things that I think stand out. And one of them, I feel like is is pretty easily fixable. The other one, I, I don't know what, what the answer is. Yeah. And, and to go to your point on, on the, like the discipline thing and the, and our, our, our players buying in, I think it's, that I feel like it was very, very clear for a long, long time that players bought into what TCU was about under Gary Patterson and what they wanted to be, right? And they played with this certain, um, you know, it's super cliche, and so I hate to say it, but like played with a chip on their shoulder, played with an attitude, played very much, um, you know, believing that they were the underdog all the time, right? Um, and or for most of a disciplined team, you, there were a few years even back in the Mountain West where they would be like 
close to the top of the nation in penalties, but um, that was more the, the, the like the physical nature that they played on defense rather than it was like guys just doing stupid plays, right? And so, you know, I, I agree. I think that some of that has been lost over the last couple of years, and I don't think that's because the message has changed. I think it becomes easier to tune out the message when you were buying into the message, but it no longer seems to be working. And so that's what I think it comes down to. I think um, when the players start seeing that there aren't results that, that, that come directly um, from what you're teaching, of course they're going to tune out. And of course they're not going to play in the same way. And so um, I think that's what it is more than anything. I think if this is, a, if, and this is, this is the thing is, it's all this seems like a little overreactionary because like we said, we didn't expect TCU to win this game against Oklahoma, but you expected them to be competitive. And for the fact, like you, you just watch the, you watch the offensive line play and it's like in a microcosm, the whole thing, like there's very little fire. There's very little enthusiasm and, and energy in the way they play. And you could see it, um, in the rest, uh, on the rest of the team, to a certain degree, you could see on the sideline there was no energy in the stadium. It's really hard for fans to get amped up when you're not competitive, right? And so, yeah, I think I, I, I do, I do think maybe there's a little bit of a buy-in thing, but I don't think that's because the message has changed. I think it's just again, I mean, once the uh, once players stop seeing the results, they stop believing a little bit in what you're selling, and that's a coaching thing. Uh, I think that goes you know, from Gary through the whole staff, right? Um, on the Jerry Anderson thing real quick, you know, someone asked us on Twitter, you know, do we think it's a, it's a, the performance there is a, is a result of talent or we think it's a result of coaching. They're not recruiting any worse than they have been mm-hmm. for years on the offensive line. I do think it comes down to coaching. I mean, you, you had specifically in Oklahoma, there were, there were a bunch of instances. And again, this comes down to attitude. It comes down to execution. It comes down to um, the fire you're playing with. There are so many instances where Oklahoma brought a blitz and just like TCU was hapless and had no idea how to pick it up. And then Duggan gets thrown on the ground and, and there's no, there's, there's not an offensive lineman going to pick him, going to help him up off the ground. There's not an offensive lineman getting into it with the defensive lineman for Oklahoma. And some of that's silly things to pick on, but like it is indicative a little bit of they were of, of a lack of intensity, a lack of attitude. And I think most of the time those things are overrated, but I think you want to see it a little bit. I think you want to see guys be a little bit um, uh, frustrated and show some emotion when they're, when, when their quarterback that they're supposed to protect is put uh, is put in a difficult situation and you're not seeing that at all. And you're not seeing, and you're not seeing them pick up their assignments well. Um, and that's just not something that we've seen in the last few years under different offensive line coaches. And so, yeah, I think the Jared Anderson thing is the first thing that gets addressed, but I think it's only one symptom of a much bigger issue that's going mm-hmm. on with its staff, you know? And, and I'm sorry, I'm, I'm taking up too much time here, but I just want to hunt on this. Like, to your point earlier, Gary Patterson built this program. He... Um, he got them to where they are. He's the reason they're in the big 12. He's the reason um, that the the stadium is in the state that it is and and is pristine and is, and is, you know, uh, the facilities are immaculate, right? He's the reason the university to a certain extent is what it is. So we deserve credit for all those things. Um, But I think we've seen multiple times over the last few years, just because, uh, you have instances where guys are great uh, are great program builders doesn't mean that they don't lose something at some point eventually and 
uh, whether that's a guy like Bill Snyder or a guy like Bob Stoops or Mac Brown at Texas, it happens. And that's not a fun thing to have to realize and point out. And I think the fact that it took us this long to start having these conversations is a testament to how much goodwill Gary has built up for himself. Mm-hmm. But now we're in year three of this weird, just like floating around adrift, not knowing what you're going to do. And um, I think people are starting to kind of ask the question, okay, well, what are, you know, what is the answer to turning this around? Yeah, I think that's all fair. And um, you're right. I mean, he, he built this thing, he set the standard, and we're not saying he's not the guy to fix it, but there's legitimate questions that, uh, that have to be answered here. Uh, coming up next, we'll hit on TCU soccer. They're having a great season. And, um, yeah, we'll wrap things up on Locked on Horn Frogs. Back on Lock on Horn Frogs, one final segment. Uh, just a reminder, Matt Jennings is with me. You can find him on Twitter, at Matt A. Jennings. He's a great Twitter follower all the time, but especially during football season because he's got good memes about TCU and Falcons football. Um, you can find me at Simcox Steven. And at Locked on TCU is our Twitter account. I'll send out a poll after the game Saturday, and I'll read the results from that in a moment. Um, I did want to give a shout-out, though, Matt, to TCU Soccer who is having a great season so far. They were 5-0-1 going into today and fell behind to a K-State team that struggled 2 to nothing, rallied back and won 3-2 to in overtime. Um, so they are now 6-0-1. They have two regular season games left against Oklahoma and West Virginia. Now, unfortunately, the NCAA is not going to play any fall championships in the fall, aside from the college football playoff, which is not associated with the NCAA technically, um, but How convenient. I, I think they're going to, yeah, I think they're going to get a chance in the spring. Not sure exactly how that works, but regardless, they're playing fantastic. They're first in the big 12 and uh, they got a couple more games left. West Virginia is second place in the big 12. So that'll be a fun game in a couple weeks, but Eric Bell's a good dude. Um, when we were doing the Riff Ram sports show at KCCU, which I was a part of, he was one of the few coaches that was, you know, willing to come on and, talk about a sport so appreciate him and um yeah matt you'll have to get on espn plus and, and check out some some tcu soccer in the next couple weeks i'm gonna have to they look good man they really do i remember one of the first things i did one of my first it, might have been, it was it was my first assignment for, for uh, when i was working for tcu student media was to go in and cover um one of uh, one of tcu's uh, soccer games in 2012, I believe, first season, and um, he stuck around for a while, and he's done some great things with that program. They're on, you know, for them to not have a single loss this season, and they're, man, they're they're playing super, super well. I, they were ranked in the top ten this week. I don't know where they're going to mm-hmm. fall after this game, obviously, um, but they're only going to go up if they go anywhere. So they're doing super well. It's really cool to see. Um, you know, yeah, it's a fun atmosphere there. I don't know what it looks like at the moment with COVID and everything. But once uh, once everyone's allowed to go back to sporting events, go and see the TCU soccer team because they are good, man. Uh, Bell has already, always got them ready to play, and they're, it's a fun watch. And this is an exciting team. I mean, even if you're not, like, a big soccer person, don't know a lot about it, they hit goals from, like, 20, 30 yards out. I mean, they hit a couple long ones today that were incredible. Uh, Messiah Bright's an, an incredible striker and player. So they're fun to watch. And, yeah, we'll – We'll try to talk about them more as we go throughout the rest of the season, but wanted to give them 
um, some love for the great job that they're doing. At Locked on TCU is where you can find the show Locked on Horn Trogs on Twitter. And I put a poll out uh, after Saturday's game, sitting at one and three, how many wins does this team up with? Team end up with? Um, two, three, four, and five are the options. And 62% of you think that this team's going to end up with two wins. <laughs> uh, 15% said three, 23% said four. So um, not the most positive, but I understand maybe if I put that out, you know, today it would be uh, a little bit better, but not a huge belief there. Matt, would the funniest result, not the best result, but would the funniest result now be them going like, uh, three and six or two and seven or three and six and only beating like Texas and Baylor. <laughs> if they ended up at like two and seven and, and only beat Texas and Baylor, that's like the funniest possible result, right? Oh, 100%. Yeah, no, the, you and I have joked before that, you know, if you beat Texas or Baylor in a season, it's hard to, it's hard to call it a total loss. If you beat mm-hmm. both of them, then you see, you feel, you honestly, everything else is gravy, right? Um, and so they get Baylor this week. Baylor does not, um, has not looked great so far. I believe their, their lone win this season is against Kansas and they are, um, uh, and they just lost uh, uh, Tristan Ebner and, uh, uh, John Lovett, John Lovett yeah. for the season who just elected to opt out after the loss to Texas yesterday, um, which is surprising to me that they, you know, I mean, it's not surprising to me that they would, they would opt out um, after a loss and like their season kind of looks like what it looks like sitting at one and two. Um, it is surprising to me that they would opt out before the rivalry game against TCU who looks like a very beatable team right now. Um, and maybe, maybe wait and opt out until after that game. But I understand um, you make your, you make the best decision for you uh, individually and, and for your health and everything. So that's totally fine um but yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be a barn burner of of um teams in meltdown mode this weekend in waco so that's gonna be fun to watch um uh but no if they if they if they manage to pull this one out um you salvage a little bit of something um but no i'm sitting here thinking based on what i'm seeing from this team so far kansas looks like the most winnable obviously the most winnable game i'm like i'm I'm not going to mark down any other game as a W at this moment, just because you haven't seen anything to, to, to get you to think that. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you're sitting here at one and three, and if you lost yesterday to Oklahoma the way you did, but you won your winnable games against K-State and against Iowa State when you had chances to win those games, you kind of say, oh, well, you know, Oklahoma's the class of the conference and you lose that game every year and, you know, not who cares, but it's not that big a deal. It's not as big a deal as it seems at this point where you're sitting here at one and three and you are just non-competitive in that game, uh, which is, I think, what creates that pessimism in that poll that you're seeing right now. Right. Yeah, I think there's there's still four winnable games on the schedule. I, I don't see a way that they beat Oklahoma State right now, um, but everybody else I feel like is in play as far as Kansas, West Virginia Tech, and Baylor. But I'm not predicting them to win all four of those games right now just because I don't think they're playing particularly well. So I feel like four is is a good guess if they can fix some things and turn some things around. Um, and, and four and five, I feel like if you get to four and five, you're still pretty disappointed, but you feel better about how – things are going in the direction things are moving. Um, but obviously, yes, Baylor's this week. And, and yeah, that Ebner and Lovett story is interesting. Apparently, it's mainly about their role in the offense. So uh, we'll cover that on the pod kind of as we get through the week. 
some unhappiness there in in Waco as they prepare for uh, yeah set your televisions for one and three TCU versus versus one and two Baylor in, in a game that might end up being the first one to 10 points uh, gets the victory. But, um, okay, so that'll do it for Lockdown Horn Frogs today. Appreciate Matt joining us today. We will be more positive, or I'll try to be more positive as the week goes <laughs> on. Um, but I think we sort of captured a lot of the mood and thoughts of the fan base today. Thanks for listening. We appreciate you. Thank you, Matt, for making the time for me tonight. Absolutely, man. Anytime. All right, we'll talk to you tomorrow. This is Locked On Horn Frogs, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.